Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Alexander Gillette to the show. Alexander Gillette is the co-founder and CEO of How Good, an independent research company with the world's largest database on food and personal care product sustainability. Since 2007, Alexander has guided How Good's business trajectory, driving innovative partnerships with like-minded companies and organizations. Under Alexander's leadership, How Good has provided critical data and insights into the quickly shifting world of sustainability for retailers, consumers, and CPGs, while maintaining its mission to increase transparency and reduce the impact of food and consumer goods on our world. Alexander, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Alexander, where are you currently located? Uh, Right now, I'm in upstate New York. Uh, Although true upstaters would say it is not upstate New York. I'm about an hour and a half north of New York City in the Hudson Valley. Um, I normally live in Brooklyn. How's the weather up there? It's kind of a gorgeous day. You know, we had the we had the cold spell for a little bit and now it's back up to like 60 degrees and it just feels kind of fresh and lovely. Well, good for you. So, Alexander, I like to open the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Um, I don't know. Maybe the thing that always comes to mind is just from my childhood that I, um, you know, grew up traveling around the world and living in lots of different countries. Um, and that very much, uh, shaped the way that, that I see the world and humanity. What are some of the countries you've lived in? Um, well, there's a whole, there's a whole mix. So the list, um, would be, uh, England, Portugal, Zimbabwe, India, Australia, New Zealand, um, and then the States. Um, and, but some of those, I don't know if you qualify them as living or not, right? Like some places it was seven months. Does that count? You know, you decide. I think seven months gives you a good flavor. Um, why did you live in all these countries? Um, we very much had parents that wanted us to see the world. Um, and, um, you know, my, my father was writing books at the time. Um, and my mom did interior design work and they took that work with them. Um, and you know, they, they'd kind of achieved what they wanted to achieve, um, or, or greater than they initially expected. Um, and they had these two young, uh, kids, um, myself and my brother, who's my co-founder. Um, and they wanted to focus on, yeah, them and us getting to see the world instead of kind of a, a standard upbringing. So the one that stood out from the list that you mentioned was Zimbabwe. How long did you spend there? Uh, Zimbabwe was uh, amazing. It was about uh, four months in Zimbabwe. Um, and it was 
back in um, 89. Um, and so Zimbabwe was actually in a really pretty good place then. Um, and um, we spent almost the entire time uh, basically uh, <laughs> doing different safari trips and um, staying in small remote towns. And uh, yeah, I, I is immensely enjoyable. Now, you mentioned it shaped your view of humanity. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, you know, just recognizing privilege in all of its forms. Um, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to be in a place like Zimbabwe or India um, as a child and not recognize the inequity um, of what's going on around you, but also witness, you know, the joy and simplicity, um, of things that bring happiness. Um, you know, and, um, I think one of the first things I wrote that I was quite proud of as a child was about a story of a boy in India. Um, and he was playing with a stick and an old bicycle tire wheel and just kind of rolling it down the streets. And there was a few other kids who were interacting with him and they were having, you know, as much fun as I was having, um, you know, when I played with something a lot more expensive and kind of a recognizing of all of the, the balance between those two, right? Like, so where like basic needs are so incredibly important and so often underserved and also that like, you can find joy in simple things. And so there's a, there's a dual learning uh, that kind of went on there for me. Um, and it shaped the business that I want to be in, which is one that helps um, promote living wages um, and helps people live in conditions that don't include forced or slave labor. So thank you for mentioning the business. Can you give the audience an overview of How Good and your role at the organization? Yeah, um, I'm the CEO of How Good. And how good evaluates the impact of ingredients. Um, and so what that means is that we've looked at 33,000 ingredients globally, um, and we've mapped out what happens when you grow them in essentially all of their different uh, conditions or all of their different major conditions as they're grown globally. And so if you tell me you know, that you're sourcing a crop from X location, we can tell you what the impact and what the risk factors are there. Um, so, you know, if you're worried about, um, you know, low wages within an industry or you were worried about um, forced labor or anything like that, we can tell you whether that's that. The same thing with greenhouse gas emissions, um, same thing with water impact, um, same thing with uh, whether, you know, you're at risk for different issues around animal husbandry. Right. And so the idea is to centralize the data of um, what happens when you grow something. Because oftentimes you have a farmer who really knows their impact, but they don't know the impact of the crop uh, on the farm next to them or the farm next to that or the one halfway around the world. And so how do you figure out what's best practice? You have to be able to compare them against each other and bring in all the different variables from you know weather to soil to, um, to labor conditions. And how do you convey that information to a consumer? Uh, so we do it in a variety of ways. I, you know, the, the piece that's really, um, taking off for our company right now, um, and that's being used by kind of major players throughout the industry, um, is a platform we call the lattice platform. And it basically lets large manufacturers. So, you know, players like Danone, um, 
look at their entire supply chain and understand the impact for every product, for every ingredient that they're sourcing, um, what's going on in that supply chain. Um, and then they can also make changes within the system or see what changes they make to have the biggest positive impact. Um, and so it's this uh, idea of kind of moving, helping companies move towards not just, you know, I like to say that the word sustainable is actually not a very ambitious goal. You know, it's this idea of kind of net zero. Um, and if you think about your life and you say, oh, I want to have no impact in my life, you know, it's not, it's not what we hold ourselves to. We want to have a positive impact on the world. And so companies are starting to look at themselves as well and people within companies and saying, we should be holding them to this higher standard as well, right? Like you should make the world a better place. Um, and so, you know, we shouldn't be carbon neutral. We should aim for carbon sequestering, right? We should be pulling carbon back into the ground, um, especially in the agricultural system where we have that available to us, right? To try and offset some of the other industries. And so... That's one way we help them identify kind of uh, how and where they can do that, um, not just for carbon, but for water impact, for biodiversity, for 127 different uh, sustainability metrics. The other is we synthesize all that data uh, and we, we turn it into like a very customer friendly. So rating that's good for the world, great for the world and best for the world, right? So it's a super simplified version and it goes right on the shelf edge. So next to a price tag, um, in let's say giant Landover, um, which is a 167 store chain here in the U S. Um, and they're owned by, um, Ajo Delhaize who have about 2000 stores. Um, you can basically walk through their aisles and, uh, on every product you can see along a scale where that product falls. And then you can vote with your dollars for a more sustainable product. So you don't have to understand the difference between cage free, free range, free roaming, certified humane and USDA or organic eggs, right? You can just like look at a scale and be like, oh, these are the best ones. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because, you know, the few times that I do go to the store, I have to go through that whole mental gymnastics of, okay, which one are the best for me and the planet, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. I understand yeah. what you're saying there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think everyone does. Even people in the egg industry are like, oh yeah, I was cage free. Is it free range? Like I switch, you know, like which one has this standard and which one, you know? And so like, you can just imagine for most people who have a lot of other things that they're trying to take care of, um, yeah, it, it needed to be simplified. So you mentioned good, great, and best. Is that correct? Yeah, and anything below that is below our standards. It just doesn't get highlighted. So we basically highlight all the leading products throughout the store. Have you ever run across a time where you've rated a food and the producer did not want to be rated? Oh, yeah, all the time. We've rated, a million, we've rated over a million products. So there's a lot of, pro you know, if your product doesn't do well, it's not probably the thing you want to highlight. Um, but in the same way that, you know, um, on Yelp or on, you know, if you want it to be a company that's doing it, like the Zagat, right? And the way they rate things, it's a informed opinion, right? About the standards of that product. And so there's not too much they can do about it. They can share more information with us. They can try and, uh, prove us wrong about their supply chains. And if they send us information that we don't have, we'll incorporate it. But uh, typically we um, already have the information that they share with us. And so it's about the evaluation of that data. Now, there's an argument out there that food that's quote unquote better for you is more expensive. Can you speak to that for a minute? Yeah, I mean, you know, there there's an unfortunate 
there's an unfortunate truth to that, right? Highly processed foods are cheaper than vegetables. Should that be the case? No, but it is because they're shelf stable and there's all these different things. The same is true in a lot of cases with sustainability. You know, if you average all the data together, a more sustainable product on average does cost more. That said, there are always places where that rule is broken, right? So in milk, milk is almost always significantly more expensive as you get more sustainable. But that's not true uh, when you're looking at things like beans, right? And so, um, you know, even when I, when I started this company um, and I was pouring all my money into it, I couldn't afford organic milk right? Like that was a step too far for me during that stage of my life, right? Um, and now, you know, I'm very comfortable making that. And, and so there's a, I, I think everyone gets to make their individual choice around that. Um, and ideally with scale, those costs get closer and closer and closer. And eventually, you know, the most effective use of a square air, uh, hectare or meter of, of land um, is to do kind of this regenerative agriculture where you're having tons of different crops growing in the same area and interacting well with each other and animals, even if you can. Um, and so ideally, as um, we can also use more, these more complex methods that are harder to figure out, but they should eventually uh, create higher efficiencies and therefore lower costs. But that's going to take time. And in my research, I came across a video where you were speaking about the true cost of food. Can you shed some light on that? So I'm not sure which video. Most likely you were referring to something that's talking about, um, you know, the recognition that a huge percentage of the greenhouse gases in the world are caused by food. Uh, enormous amounts of deforestation are caused by our food and ag. Uh, there's huge amounts of, uh, you know, uh, forced labor that's, uh, within our food system. Um, and, you know, and, and that's not like it's not in the global food system and, you know, you're not buying it if you're buying food in America, you know, it's it's on our grocery shelves, right? Like if you're not paying attention, you are probably buying some products that are using forced or child labor to produce that food. Um, and that's pretty shocking to, to most people. And so in in any of those cases, you know, spending a little bit more typically helps alleviate that. Um, because those higher standards allow for people to be paid the way they should be. But it's not always true, right? Sometimes that money's going directly to the top rather than to the farms and the places that, that need it. I agree. Recently, my wife and I were speaking about um, the externalities of the cost of food and mm -hmm. how, I'm going to say today, but in the last few years, we've seen an increase in certain diseases, diabetes, for example, and for let's call it 30, 40 years now, maybe a little longer, we've seen perhaps fast food and even commercial food you buy in grocery stores that have been processed or perhaps provided in a, I'm going to say not substandard, but you know, not with the consumer consumer's interest at heart. And I think we're seeing a lot of that bear out today in the healthcare system where the food producers are not bearing the cost, but the now the healthcare providers or the individuals themselves are now bearing that cost. Yeah, I mean, you know, the modern agriculture and the food system was basically designed to solve the problem post-World War II of, you know, mass calorie shortage, right? And um, unfortunately, that leaves a lot to be desired in uh, 
you know, in terms of a, a vast majority um, of people's health and diets, right? And that problem is only really being taken on now. We've just said, oh yeah, that works. Let's keep scaling this. And the reality is that uh, something being shelf stable as long as possible and having enough calories in it is no longer the most important factor. In fact, oftentimes we have too much of those two things and they're part of the problem. And so how we strike that balance uh, is is kind of key. And I think, you know, one of the things I often say to to companies we're working at, like working with, you can't, you can't just focus on one or two issues. You know, you can't say, look, we want to deal with greenhouse gas emissions and then ignore the other issues because you're going to do horrible trade-offs then, right? You're going to solve your greenhouse gas problem, but you're going to create a subset of other ones, whether it's, you know, water, whether it's labor, whether it, right. And so you have to be looking at the complexity of the food system and represent it in your decision-making. So when you make that trade-off to an improved greenhouse gas system, make sure that you're also positively affecting the other ones, or at least majority positively affecting and where you're doing a trade-off, you're aware of it, and you're trying to fix that in another manner. So speaking about some of the companies you're working with, what are the advantages that those companies have when they work with you? What are the advantages you've seen? Well, you know, this level of data has never been available before for large and small companies, right? And so, you know, I I think one of the things I like to highlight is like, it's no longer a question of can we, it's a question of will we, right? Like there's no longer can we sequester carbon or can we uh, produce enough food for the world or can we, right? It's a question of will we, right? And produce is the wrong word because really it's about distribution, but we won't get into that. Um, I, I think the the keys here are... Um, that with this kind of data and with taking a very scientific, you know, forward thinking approach to ag, um, we can do very holistic um, versions of our food system that are beneficial to the communities and the people they're supplying. And the fun thing is that you have, you know, global companies that are willing to start to do that, right? And that's a shift um, where they're saying, hey, we've built the current food system. We can actually we can make it better. We can make it be a reflection of how we want to live our lives as well. Now, speaking specifically to products, have you seen or have your grocery partners seen an increase in sales and uptick in certain products that you rated? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty wild. I mean, a, a best rated product in a category averages um, 168% increase in sales. Um, a uh, In some categories, like baby food, um, it's over a thousand percent. And they're not selling a thousand percent more baby food. They're selling a thousand percent more of the best rated baby food at the expense of the lower rated ones, right? Um, and so, yeah, you see, you see that customers uh, want to buy food based uh, on the standards. It's just not always clear for them how to do that easily. That is a pretty amazing number. A thousand percent increase. That is. I, <laughs> we when we first. Uh, <laughs> When we first launched the program, we were targeting between five and 10 and our first version of it, um, which was very uh, naive in terms of understanding of how people interact with Shelf Edge, had like a 34% increase in sales. Um, and we thought that was incredible, right? <laughs> um, and we've refined it um, over uh, since then into this place where it's, yeah, it's it's really, really effective. And these are, you know, those numbers, that's not for like, you know, in a whole food equivalent, 
You know, these are in conventional stores that we're seeing customers really do want this information. So you mentioned the shelf stickers or labels, if you will. Are you also partnering with producers to put the information directly on the product? No, because we don't want to be another, you know, it's like the egg aisle, right? If you put best for the world next to cage-free, free-range, free-roaming, certified humane, someone still looks at it and goes, wait, is that better than these or not? We want it to be on a scale and to be simple. So you've got to have the egg that's not quite as good next to that be on that same scale. And of course, only the best for the world would want to use the ratings. Um, and so people wouldn't, won't be able to compare them. That said, anyone can download our app, scan the product in their grocery store and their, you know, at home in their pantry and get an understanding of, of their impacts. So you have a consumer facing app also, correct? Yes. It's pretty, uh, you know, you scan a barcode, um, of any food product and it should tell you the, the impact and the rating that that product gets. You know, it's, I don't think apps are going to change the food system because, you know, the average person is picking between five milks and it takes them, you know, 15 seconds to pick between those five, right? The average app takes 30 seconds to scan one. So now you're saying, hey, take two and a half minutes to scan those five milks rather than 15 seconds isn't very realistic for most people's lives. But for people who want to understand why a product gets a certain rating or who are excited or disappointed by a rating, it gives them transparency to understanding it. That's pretty interesting. I like the idea of being able to go through the pantry at home and scanning what we have to see where it kind of aligns and then perhaps, you know, changing habits next time we go shopping. Yeah. So switching gears here, crux of our conversation, the why behind what you do. You've been pursuing this now for 14 years. You mentioned your early travel being influential on you, but why, how good, what made you want to launch this company and what keeps you going? Um, you know, my brother made me want to launch this company. It really was the, the, the genesis of the idea. Um, he was living in, in England um, and I was living here in New York and he was telling me about this idea and we were like, we kept kind of refining it. And it was, it was just like, everyone's doing this research themselves and they're spending all this money trying to understand their own impact without understanding all the variables and the way everyone else is doing things. Right. And how do we simplify that and make it more effective so that the change can be accelerated? Um, and, um, you know, we really started it as like a passion project while we were doing other things. You know, it was like it, it, it wasn't, oh, this will be a dashboard in 14 years that big companies will be using. It was like this data will be available uh, and will be valuable to these companies in terms of like helping them make change. Um, and so we got there. Um, <laughs> through an enormous amount of kind of uh, hard work and and willingness to kind of do what it takes. Um, and that ranged from like government grants to working multiple jobs to, um, you know, <laughs> almost running out of money, uh, you know, multiple times and finding solutions each time. And foregoing organic milk. There we go. <laughs> So how do you gather your data? So, I mean, one of the nice things having been around for a long time is that we've built an enormous number of partnerships with data providers. Um, and so we'll do data shares and we'll um, give experts access to data. And so there's two different pieces that happen within our system. One is we have 450 different data sources that we're gathering data from. Um, and the other is that we've had hundreds of 
hundreds of experts come in and interpret what that data means, right? So um, it's not just, uh, you know, what happens when you start using a cover crop when you're, you know, growing X, um, but it, or, you know, what happens if you switch to no-till, but um, it's actually a question of like, is there a scientific consensus on what happens in each of one of these different regions and growing locations when you make this type of a change? And then mapping those all into the system so that we can provide that level of kind of accuracy and understanding for everyone. So, you know, those range for typically what we do is we look at one specific issue. So let's say we're looking at biodiversity, right? We'll look for the leaders of data in that space. So uh, I would highlight um, Bioversity International and the Agrobiodiversity Index, right? Incredibly complex data sets about biodiversity impact um, that need to be both ingested by our system and then interpreted and then made useful for a variety of different people within a company, everyone from a sustainability team to a researcher who's reformulating a product, right? And so we take that data, but then we also layer it against other sources of data. So if within biodiversity, if we're looking at deforestation, the Rainforest Alliance data, or if we have uh, like geotags of the farms, then we'll actually use satellite data, right? And when we can use all three of those, we get an even more complete picture. And so that's kind of the goal. You use as many of the different data sources to create as complete an understanding around a given impact as possible. If I'm understanding correctly, you might partner with a, an organization that is collecting data on animal welfare. Is that correct? Yeah. And then you overlay that data via your, I guess, software, and you're able to create a score. Is that correct? Yeah. So let's say I'm going to look at a product. How many of, so you've got several of these different data points. I'm looking at the website right now. Quite amazing. Um, how many of these data points are aggregated to create that one score? Well, it depends on the product and how many ingredients. So we actually rate every ingredient and then the percentage of the product that they make up. So every product is incredibly different. You know, you could have, you know, right. If you're just doing it for a carrot in a grocery store, right. It's the impact of that carrot, right. How far did it travel? What growing conditions was it grown in? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, is it in packaging? Is it not? What's the impact of that packaging? Right. It's relatively simple. Um, you could have a processed food that has 40 ingredients in it, right? And then you have to map out every one of those. Um, so there's no, people often say, you know, is there a simple way to understand this? And the reality is like the food system is a complex system. If our system was simple, it wouldn't be accurately reflecting the food system. We build in that complexity to give you an understanding of has this product overachieved within its category? You mentioned the carrot. Do you look at things like pesticides also? Yeah. Pesticides, fungicides, um, you know, pretty much the idea, we look at the processing, right? Not for a carrot, obviously, but we're trying to take in the full complexity. Um, we look at the packaging. So it's, it's not just what's happening on the farm, um, but it is as many of those details as possible. Really sounds like an amazing story here. You know, the way I came across your company is one of the co-founders of our company sent a screenshot of how good and Chipotle. So you're also working with restaurant partners too? Chipotle is actually our first restaurant partner. We're not like, you know, we hadn't pursued that market um, because in general, restaurants do a poor job of differentiating themselves from each other in terms of their food standards. Um, and Chipotle is an outlier in that, 
Um, and there are some others, definitely. But in general, that side is behind, let's say, the grocery industry. Um, but yeah, they they approached us. We like what they're doing, how they're trying to improve things um, and taking a data centric approach that they can communicate to customers. Uh, we love it. And that's the type of thing we want to support. Well, congratulations on that partnership. Thank you. So I'm going to switch gears here. You know, 14 years, what are some of the most valuable lessons that you would say you've learned on your journey? Um, I mean, one is, I think just that, you know, it's your journey. <laughs> don't, don't try and model it off uh, someone else's, you know, if you want to keep going, keep going type of a thing. I think, you know, people are like, oh, 14 years, that's so long for, you know, what some people call a startup. And it's like, it's true. Um, that's, that's a lot of time, but it's time I enjoyed, you know? And so if you're enjoying it and you want to keep going, you know, do it. And the same is true of the opposite. If you're not, you know, like you don't have to stay at something. And so I think there's a certain amount of, of, um, I, I end up talking to a lot of people in, you know, the startup world who think like their app has to take off in six months or they should give up. Um, and I think there's a lot of different versions of success stories um, out there and you get to make your own. So speaking of keep going, it's 2025, magic wand. What does the future hold for how good? How do you envision how good to look in five years? Um, I mean, my main goal, <laughs> and honestly, it'd be great if this is how good, but it, I more care that it happens, is that companies um, agree to standards um, for how they're going to measure. Because the issue that's happening right now is companies are like, hey, we're going to lower our greenhouse gases, but they're not saying, uh, here's what we're currently producing. You know, this is where we're measuring it from and finishing measuring it. Um, and this is where we're going to end up in 2005. And so the lack of kind of accountability in terms of like hard numbers and not just for greenhouse gases, but for all of these metrics is, I think, a piece that we really need to solve. Um, and the more detail that we can get around that, uh, the better. Um, and so my goal would be to, I'd love for how good to be the, the piece that brings that together within the food system, but also um, just that that happens. I love that idea of almost nudging companies into accountability. Yeah. That's beautiful. So Alexander, last question. And you know, you said something earlier regarding your journey is your journey. And I love that advice. But if you could share some other specific words of advice or wisdom with the audience, what would it be? I think there's a immense amount of uh, people that will give you their opinion <laughs> um, and that will tell you why, you know, something won't work. And, you know, sometimes the job of, of people trying to change things is to be willing to hear no and that know that it doesn't mean no forever. Um, you know, we have a VC who, you know, wants to invest in how good. And, you know, six years ago, he basically said, you guys care about too much stuff, right? Like people care whether it's organic or not. They don't care like what the overall impact is and all the complexity that you're covering. Um, and not only does he want to invest now, but he actually built a fund that focuses on that exact thesis of like, making sure that the companies they invest in are doing well across the board in terms of the world. And 
you know, he called us up and he, he owned that. He said, look, I actually rejected you guys a long time ago. Um, and since then I've grown to understand that that is where the market's going. And it's also what I want to focus on. Um, and so it's not even just that no, you know, that you're going to get no's and that you can find the right fit. It's that sometimes you'll get a no from a person who later on will come back and be a yes. Um, and so, you know, if you believe in something and you're trying to, and you're trying to change something in a way that hasn't been necessarily done before, um, just, just keep at it. I like that. It aligns nicely. Keep at it. Keep on your journey. Stay with it. I've so enjoyed speaking with you and I'm excited to see where, how good goes. I really feel like from a macro standpoint, we can all benefit from the work you're doing, especially if you make it easier for us consumers to walk into a store and, you know, at a glance, know where the product stands on your, you know, on your scale and just in general in our lives. So I appreciate that. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? No, just, you know, pay attention to the companies that are making these changes, you know, uh, General Mills switching its uh, to regenerative agriculture for, you know, uh, a huge portion of its wheat that it produces uh, is an amazing thing. They're going to be sequestering carbon. They're one of the largest wheat producers in the world, right? Like when you see something like that, support it with your dollars, um, show them that you care. Um, because every time we buy something, we are voting. Um, so, you know, we get to vote with our dollars and help fix the food system every time we go to the grocery store. I appreciate you sharing that, Alexander, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, me too. Thank you. Before we go, I'm excited to share that we've launched our comic strip, The Adventures of Mira and Nexi. You can find the first issue at our website, nexuspmg.com, under the Original Content tab. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.